All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Vinnie Marisi. Vinnie heads up the data engineering practice at Object Edge, a digital consultancy based in the Bay Area of California. He brings over 15 years experience in launching data programs for enterprise and Fortune 500 B2B manufacturers and distributors. So Vinny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So share with us a little bit about your background and what led you to doing what you're doing at Object Edge. Yeah, absolutely. So as you just mentioned, I've been in the data world for about 15 years and for me specifically, my brain has always worked in a way where I've seen data as more than just a means to an end. I like to build tangibility around how data can affect businesses and it's how it into more of the consulting world. And it's been a really great opportunity to work with our customers over the years to say, hey, Let's take this thing called data that's floofy. You go to conferences all the time and they say data is the new oil and you need to turn data into an asset for an organization. And nobody really knows what that means, right? It's such a big, wide open topic. And for me and for my team, what we pride ourselves in is to say, hey, let's turn the intangible into a tangible. Let's create steps, order of operation and real outcomes and benefits for why data is so important to an organization. And it's been such a great time trying to build all of these models for our customers and it's only getting better. Yeah. And with data just expanding at the rate it was before we were taught before the show, we were talking about how AI is really transforming everything and data can be used for good and it can also be used for evil. <laughs> it goes the whole spectrum in, in ways that we would have never thought about before. So specifically, though, when it comes to manufacturers, what are some of the data challenges that manufacturers are facing today? Yeah, I think that there's some very unique challenges that manufacturers are seeing. If I take a step back, for example, and I look at even distribution side of things like B2B distribution, they're all pushing to be more digital. MSC Industrial, for example, they're a major MRO distributor that just came out last, last year on fiscal 22 saying, hey, we now do $2.28 billion in digital revenue alone, and they're growing at 17% year over year. So that's at a distribution level. So what does that mean for manufacturers? It means that all of their customers, whether it's a distributor or a retailer, they're pushing to increase the channel presence, which means that the amount of data that these manufacturers, many of them are mom and pop, some of them are larger, they now need to support all of these digital transformations that their distribution network, that their customer network is going through. And that can be difficult because that means that I have to manage a lot more than I was used to. And so I, as a manufacturer with 
a lot of unstructured data or a lot of data that I'm just used to like, hey, I have supply chain information. I want to be able to send my products really efficiently, not for people to necessarily use a digital network to make a purchasing decision. So how do I do that without hiring an army of employees or utilizing my current employee base without burning them out because there's so much more now than there was. And so that's a difficult thing to to solve for. It, it creates a foundation of a problem, even though they know that there is revenue and there's success on the other side of the equation because all of their customers and digital partners or distribution partners are doing so great in that space. Can you just give some examples of what you're talking about when you're yep. talking about d- digital data and the and monetizing it? I'm just trying to wrap my head around what that looks like, especially in a mom and pop shop or somebody that didn't necessarily have the technology, but they have all of this data. Yep. So just yep. putting it in really simple terms, what does that mean? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So the way that it has been working for decades, really, is that I, as a manufacturer, I'm going to go and I'm going to make something, some widget. And that thing will go through a lot of engineering and requirements and drawings that I'm going to have to build in order to build that thing. And then I'm going to go and sell it. And I sell it normally to distributors or wholesalers or whomever is going to take my product. And in the old days, I would just need an ERP and the ERP would manage a couple important facts about my product. It would be how much does it weigh? How many go into a box? How many boxes go onto a pallet? And what's the weight of everything so I can send it across? So it's only a couple pieces of information. Then your distributor goes out and sells it to their customers. And if it's B2B, they're picking up the phone, talking with their sales rep and then placing an order. Now everything has changed. If I go back to an example of an MRO distributor, these are complex parts. They're trying to make it so that their customers are no longer picking up the phone. They want to make it so that a buyer, an inventory manager, is going onto their site and finding the exact products that they want. And that leads to, hey, I've got now 40 attributes across a job or drill bit, which might be a very simplistic product or an indexable cutting tool or welding equipment that I would normally have not needed to provide as a manufacturer that type of information to my customers. So now they have to go back to their engineering documents. They have to go back to see how they're utilizing that information and figure out how to structure it. And and that's not a simple task, especially when a lot of this just lives in like PDFs or unstructured databases. And so that is a major hurdle for these organizations that are pulling out their hair saying, I really want to support my distributors, but I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the data organized. I don't have it in a place that's easy to, we call it syndicate, syndicate downstream to my network of customers. So when you're looking at some of these, what are some of the other unique challenges then that you're going to run into when you have this direct-to-consumer manufacturer? Yeah, direct to consumer is a very interesting topic because for a while, direct to consumer was this big initiative or forefront for a lot of organizations because when we look at the advancements of cookies and adaptability of 
searching and a customer going out and asking for what they want, you could then grab that search result or grab those cookies and quickly serve them ads. I, as a manufacturer, don't need to rely on Amazon or I don't need to rely on, on distributors. I can go and serve my products directly to consumers and then not have to pay that in-between margin hit of getting it to a wholesaler and distributor. The problem is last year, what did Apple do? Apple created this opt-in era where they were saying, hey, on default, we're going to turn off cookies and you have to opt in as a customer to be able to serve those types of ads. So now all of a sudden, and there's a lot of case studies about this. Direct-to-consumer manufacturers started nosediving in terms of their revenue because they couldn't find their customers very well. And the whole point of this process was it was a very cheap way of customer acquisition. So now what they have to do is better differentiate themselves through proper product data and through customer data that they now own. They can't rely on something like cookies. Hey, somebody just searched for TVs. I'm going to go serve them up as a TV manufacturer some options because that whole model has been cut off. And so now I need to go build out those data profiles by myself because I now need to trust that consumers are going to do research. So I need to bring my organic searches up through Google or Bing, and I have to create the best possible experience model so that people trust my site and make that purchasing decision. It has completely turned the way that folks are purchasing things on its head because served up very specific advertisements may be a thing of the past unless there's something new that I know some advertising agencies are trying to figure out. That's so interesting because I think for so many years, you just get used to accepting cookies and everything. Yeah. And as a consumer, I would look at one ad on Macy's and then for the next three months, I would just be getting this. And I never really realized how that happened. And so it it seems like it's it went to the extreme and now it's being pulled back to to protect the consumer, basically, from all of that just targeted. So it's probably a little bit better for the consumer because we're not getting slapped upside the head with 40,000 ads every day. But as you said, it makes it harder yeah. for the manufacturers because they don't own. It's always you want to own your list. You want to own exactly. your people. And they didn't own those cookies before. They didn't, and they don't have access to that information anymore. And it has completely made a struggle for an organization that built up an employee base, that built up a revenue model and supply that was driven off of a certain customer acquisition dollar. That customer acquisition dollar has totally been taken out of the equation, and they have to build a new equation now to somehow figure out this. And it's caused a lot of stress and anxiety with employees, with enterprises, where we talk about things like the interest rates going up. So these companies don't have infinite cash anymore, where they pretty much have free money from the banks. So there's this anxiety that has hit this direct-to-consumer group, I really call it an industry, even though it's filled with sub-industries in there, that are trying to figure out their way all because of what, in essence, Apple started the trend of. Google's now talking about doing something similar. And you say it's for the sake of privacy. And I would say there are arguments on both sides of the equation because now you almost have to funnel 
to major distributors like Amazon or Wayfair or Walmart who have major inroads into being able to advertise because they have the money to do that. These smaller organizations don't really have the money to do it. And this is new information for me. That was just the way that I was seeing it as far yeah. as the, with all the trouble that Facebook got in for private for privatization of data. Yeah, that's a thing. Something that's good People always find a way to use it for evil. Exactly. So, Unfortunately, that's always the case. <laughs> I know. And, and it will be, or else we'd never go to the movies because that's all what the movies are about. So when you're looking at good data and good data practices, how would you define these when you're talking about an engineering lead manufacturer? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question because this is, in essence the first aspect of sizing and realizing there's a problem. And when we talk about good data practices, the first thing that I preach is, do you as a manufacturer have a center of excellence that's focused on data? I might have multiple business groups. I might have multiple regions because I'm a global company, for example. And a lot of the times what you find is everything is siloed. Oh, Europe works different than the United States that works different than Asia Pacific region that works different than Latin America region. And in one regard, that might be fine, right? Regulatory requirements are going to be different in various areas. But in the grand scheme of things on how I manage data, I talked before about manufacturers, they have a lot of engineering documentation, and they tend to be in prints and in things that are unstructured and not in a way that's easily digestible or analytical to create business intelligence around. So the first step is to say, hey, how do I have good data practices? I've built a center of excellence that goes above everything. It goes above business unit. It goes above regionality. And it says, as an organization, I want to ensure data is, for example, supported through consistent and accurate way. I tend to look at it like a library sciences methodology, right? If you look at the Dewey Decimal System, I know nobody uses the Dewey Decimal System anymore because we have computers in the library, but that is the fundamental of one of the very first taxonomies created or attributes created around how to find a book. Same thing should be your mindset for how do I discover and find a product or a widget that I am building within my organization? How do I define my customers? And how do I define my customers in a very efficient and succinct way that is consistent globally? So that is first creating a way to build data stewardship is a thing that is first in, in your mind before you do anything else. Remember, data should not be viewed as a means to an end. Oh, I have a new customer. I have to fill out pieces of information. I have to ship a product. I have to fill out these pieces of information and I ship it. That's just a means to an end. What I want to build is to say, this customer is important because they consistently buy XYZ. And therefore, I have the ability to now upsell these other parts because they're related to these. And all of a sudden, I have all of this information at my fingertips to build a revenue pipeline and build out my customers in a much better and more meaningful way. And we want to create win-win situations. It's not just like, how can I make more money? It's how I can make my customers do great thing for their end consumers and increase their data sets or increase their SKUs that they're going to be selling to their customers. 
So how would, for a large organization that's been focused on data for decades, it's probably a little bit easier because they have a whole department. But if somebody, smaller manufacturer, mom and pop shop, who doesn't necessarily have the manpower and really the knowledge to, to think about all the different things that you just brought up, how do they even get started? Yeah, the, that's it's interesting you ask that because for a smaller or mid-sized organization, I always have this feeling that building out good data practices, and I'll get to the way to get started in a second, they're actually more important than the large enterprises. Large enterprise has enough money to live through pain, if that makes sense. They might be sending spreadsheets everywhere and massaging data and trying to figure out business intelligence through every which way to better serve their customers. But they can do that because they are so large. Now, as a smaller mid-sized organization, the focus needs to be on, okay, let's take a deep breath. We know that this is an important aspect of how we need to go forward and serve our customers. And like I said before, we also can't just burn out our employees and I don't have the money to just hire a bunch of folks. So how do I get our house in order? And so that's my first suggestion to any customer that I'm working with that is asking me what the first step is. Let's get your house in order. Let's worry about analytics and trends and all these other areas second, let's first decide, hey, how do you build and structure your data today? Because more often than not, we'll hear an answer. Joe Schmo has this spreadsheet that he or she maintains, and there's this other spreadsheet, and we send emails back and forth. And the first step is just recognizing and actually writing down how data flows through your organization in a current state. And then all of a sudden eyes get wide because people don't realize how deep they are into it until you map out your data flow through an organization. And then you say, hey, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit here. If I were to just build out an enterprise categorization structure, or if I were to integrate attributes that are being held into a spreadsheet into a better purpose-built database or workflow engine, I'm going to save my team tons of time. And then it's a win-win because the company is going to have all of this better data so they can make more money. And then the employees who are in product management or who are in digital merchandising or who are in engineering or regulatory, they now have a much easier way of managing all of this data as opposed to pulling out their head because they've probably been struggling with it just as long as anybody else. And those are probably the folks that have been asking for change for a while. And now you get the enterprise to recognize how important this is and why it's important. So you had mentioned employee burnout and you had mentioned, again, on this show, we talk a lot about company culture. So how do you get your employees to buy into this and realize that all of the little data points and all of the quote unquote paperwork uh, that they're doing, that they're being forced to do now to collect this data at the beginning is actually going to pay off for them. What are the words to use or the things to put in place? Or So we have a little bit of pain here to have a lot less pain in the future if we do this correctly. That's so important because change management is a part of 
anything that we do for any customers that that we work with you can't just go in and say hey you're doing this poorly and i'm just going to plop down a new process new technology new things that are going to change everybody's working life because at the end of the day people are still people right they might be going through a really cruddy process but they might be doing it for 15 20 years you don't know that and so any change they might view as a negative and, and so the important aspect here is to make sure we call it making sure the business user is a part of the process from start to finish if we are going to change technology or process to better enable data to be an asset within an organization the people who are managing that data need to be at the forefront we cannot just say hey c-suite is mandating this exercise or C-suite is mandating this initiative without having the folks who are going to be a part of that initiative or who are going to be the end consumers of managing and making sure that data is in there clean and consistent and accurate, they not be a part of this process. From day one, they need to be giving their input into in terms of what they do day to day and have knowledge into this is what we're going to do, and this is why we're going to do it, and this is why it's going to make your lives so much better. It's not going to be painless because change is always going to be change. You can go from a green screen to some UI-based system, and that is going to, in essence, going to bring people to, to tighten up and say, I don't know if I want this type of change. But if you flow with them through the process and allow them to be a part of any of these data initiatives, it becomes a lot easier and it starts connecting and clicking, and then people start buying in. And that's really the key. It doesn't matter how much money you spend on technology. It doesn't matter how good of a consulting firm. I can say we're the best consulting firm there is out there for data. If you don't get adoption by the people that are going to be doing it, it's all destined for failure. People are so important and the people working on data are the most important aspect of any data initiative and program. Just from a standpoint of showing your employees how valuable they are to the organization. And also as you have your tenured employees that are that have that whole history of the company mm -hmm. and why you did everything, and then they start to feel that maybe they're going to be replaced by, by technology or by automation and just capturing so much of what we're losing in the data that they naturally have in their mind to put into that process so that they feel they're valued and they also feel that they're contributing to a greater mission in the organization than, than maybe they felt before. So I think having that as part of the conversation could be a big help too. Totally agree. Yeah, you're always going to have folks that they feel like the business on one hand is going to say, hey, this individual, if they take a sick day, my this area of my business shuts down. So that's a corporate risk. And that person should understand that in essence, that's a corporate risk. But at the same time, just because we're trying to take out tribal knowledge or process and build that into a model that we can now scale as an organization, that doesn't mean that you're trying to create redundancy against their position. In fact, we're just saying, hey, 
your day-to-day is going to be a lot easier than making it. Everybody has to rely on you for very nuanced things when you can be doing more strategic things to benefit the business. A lot of the times people get stuck in, I know the tactics of this, but your brain is in a way that can benefit the business so much better at a strategic level than a tactical level. And that's the only thing that's changing in that moment in time. Absolutely. So how are leading manufacturers leveraging good? So a big aspect is going to be around building customer education for their end users, right? We talked about differentiating yourselves digitally. If I have really good data, all of a sudden, I know who my customers are. I know what my products are. That sounds like a very weird sentence to say, but a lot of folks, a lot of businesses, they don't really know the detail of their products. But once I have all of this amalgamated and aggregated into a single view, I know who my customers are. I know where they're located. I know their buying habits. I know what my my products are, and I know what they do to help my customers. I can create an intersection or I can start educating folks and being like, hey, Here's a functional equivalent. Here's something better to buy, or here's something that will that that I can give you instead of this. And a lot of times in businesses that we work with, it's funny, we'll find products that cost the business less to manufacture and cost their customers less in total ownership, right? To purchase the product, but the margin is higher because it's cheaper to build. It might be cheaper to sell, but my total margin is higher. That's a very big data-driven benefit that I can accommodate. The other thing is supply chain initiatives, right? If I want to be able to, let's go back to a manufacturer that wants to do direct-to-consumer, and I want to have a model where I can compete at least in some way with somebody like Amazon who does two-day delivery for almost everything or in some really amazing cases, two-hour delivery for some things, I need to understand the process of how I can get my products to my customers, whether that's building business intelligence around location and warehousing, weight and the charge or amount to get those products on a truck to my customers, All of these elements require data consistent and accurately to be given to organizations to build out these models. It doesn't matter if I'm educating my customer, if I'm simply trying to ship something to my customer, or if I'm trying to build a buying experience for my customers to to find these products. And what you're doing too is when you're coming from the aspect of how do I serve the customer better? Because before that, back in the day, you're, how many times would I know when I, in my sales career, I uh, would call on customers. They're like, oh, I didn't know you did that. It's we think that we are covering all our bases because we have these relationships with our customers. But if you're seeing that from the data that, oh, they're buying this and this may also help their process to be even better. And now we're coming from a point of being a consultant type of salesperson and building, like you said, a better customer experience, but also coming from the aspect of you're using that data to serve the clients that you're taking care of. Precisely. You hit it right on the head. So what do you think is the most important first step for manufacturers that are looking to improve their data maturity? Yeah, that's, 
that can sometimes be a difficult question, but for from the way that I like to think about it, it's start small, start simple, start with the quick wins. If I know that my customers are asking for data and I find that's my biggest pain point, syndication, then start by building a really good syndication model. Start organizing, engineering data into a structured data model. It's a very tactical step. I'm not talking about a center of excellence. I'm not talking about building out data stewards and enterprise models because those are going to happen once I can prove out that, hey, this is working. I have now been able to eliminate people working overtime and people working in models that are extremely difficult and complex and end up maybe having a lot of human error associated with how I'm syndicating downstream. Build a taxonomy, build some attributes, and then migrate and normalize that data. It's a very data-centric tactical approach, but then you've proved out a win. And then I can start talking upwards within the organization and talking to more of the director or VP level or C-suite. And then they will see that benefit and then start building out greater initiatives because then I have this a concept of business intelligence and analytics and how that can help and then master data management and how that can help. So there's different areas that work as almost like a domino effect. Once I get my first quick win, and we tend to see that in like digital merchandising, we know digital merchandising will lead to more revenue. Therefore, it's the easiest thing to start with because you can convince people that, hey, this is going to give me a true business benefit. Operational efficiency is sometimes harder to convince people about ROI, even though I'm a huge believer in operational efficiency. And that goes back to customer happiness, culture, and allowing people to actually work in a much cleaner that's another word for it, a cleaner environment than it was before, as opposed to things just flying back and forth. And it's almost like everything is a fire all at once. You want to just dose that out or douse that out as quickly as you can. So as we start to get to the end of our time together, how exactly do you work with your clients? What would be a good indication that somebody should jump on a phone with you? And then what's your process that you take them through? Yeah, thank you for that. There's a lot of areas where we begin. But many times what occurs is you'll have a recognition and say, hey, I was kind of mentioning this at the beginning of the conversation where I don't know what I don't know. There's aspects of data that I think should be important. I should be making this a corporate asset. I should be leveraging this in a better way. And so what you have is our organizations who say, hey, let's create a data initiative and then it pauses and it stops because nobody really knows what that next step is. So for us, a lot of our customers, they'll call us and they'll say, hey, I need to figure out how to make data a thing. How, how abstract is that? I just need to make data yeah. a thing. And we'll start with a strategy engagement that says, okay, let's figure out what your success criteria is. Let's figure out what these first steps are. And we'll actually plan it out because some people don't even know how much this is going to even cost or how long it's going to be or what technology needs to be involved or what work streams I have to do. These are true programs. And so a lot of the times we'll come in, we'll go, we'll go into a room, we'll whiteboard, and we will figure out what's your definition of success, what's your complexity that we're dealing with right now, and we'll build out a full roadmap. And that gives people clarity. 
clarity in terms of how long and how much something like this is going to take. And that is an important step one that organizations should do because nobody wants to jump into data initiatives blind. And then the other one is you may be looking at a technology or you may be trying to figure out a technology. And you're like, I don't really, every salesperson for product is going to say theirs is the best. And then have a really good sales pitch for us. We view ourselves at Object Edge as, as technology agnostic. We love data for data's sake and have understanding and ideas around how this can benefit you, but we are not a software company. So a lot of the times we come in and we help organizations determine, hey, what is the actual best fit for you? What's going to accomplish all of your goals? And then we move from there as well. And if somebody did want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way for us, our website, Object Edge, dot com you can go right on there you can see what we're all about what we do on top of data we do things along commerce implementation initiatives and experience design so there's a few other areas that complement the data programs and services that we do so objectedge.com or you can find me at linkedin vinnie marisi or v marisi is my linkedin tag and i hope to connect all right vinnie it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today thanks so much for joining me Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate the time. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturers Network Podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow the network, the stronger and deeper the community will all have. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.